0: The Last of a Driver Breed podcast is brought to you by DaphneClassic.com. Because I daily drive my 1970 Westphalia, I know the difference between parts that will work and parts that are truly reliable. I started Daphne Classic to help those who drive classic Volkswagens get access to top quality parts for their daily drivers, their show-winning restoration projects, and everything in between. With locations in both Los Angeles, California, and Salem, Oregon, we are able to serve the VW community across the entire planet with personalized service and up-to-date technical advice that accounts for classic car ownership in the modern world. Visit us at www.daftonclassic.com. Hello, this is Brendan, host of The Last of a Driving Breed. First and foremost, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And let you know that this episode will serve as an interim episode, as obviously there haven't been any new releases since January. It should come to no surprise to anyone that the last 18 months have not gone according to plan. And that includes this podcast, what it was meant to be, and what it is going to be. But I haven't given up on it. I've just been focusing on other parts of my life, and this past month, July 2021, has seen major shifts towards my career and what I want to accomplish. For example, Dafton Classic. Dafton is the sponsor of this podcast. And the advertisement that appears at the beginning of each episode. Most of you know, I am Dafton Classic. For five years, I've been selling parts for Classic Volkswagens online as a side hustle. One that keeps me in the VW scene and has afforded me several cars leading up to the Daftalia. My 1970 Westfalia high-roof camper bus. Well, side hustle no more. As of This month, July 2021, Dafton Classic is my full-time job. I've taken the plunge and left my day job in the movie industry. No more two hours of commuting every day to Glendale. No more spinning my wheels at a desk. No more trying to get VW orders out between studio trucks. And with this change, this podcast is more viable, and there will be more episodes. More regular episodes at that. So, what can you expect from the last of a drive and breed? Well, this started with a simple enough premise. Mark Saccarado and I, sitting at Bob's in Burbank, uh, looking at the same 30 cars show up every Friday that are all finished, restored, shiny, and impressive. The same cars that go to Van Nuys Cruise Night on Saturday and Supercar Sunday on Sundays. You know, the same 30 cars every time. The San Fernando Valley sure is spoiled for car culture. But when the same people, every time, are fighting for that same prime spot up front in hopes that Jay Leno would approach them, we knew there was a whole crowd of people more like us, who just daily drive old cars by choice. I in the Dafalia, Mark in the Stomper Tercel 4x4. The last of a driving breed was our vehicle to sharing the stories that don't get shared in front of cameras. Because a shiny 55 Chevy, or 40 of them, sure can make a good TV show. But the experience of taking off on a 2,000 mile road trip in your 50 year old, 50 horsepower micromotor home, that's nutrient rich to share some really good stories. And that's why just a few months after that dinner at Bob's, I was sitting down with the VW OG Cliff Crate. We will be doing another episode with Cliff. Mark, unfortunately, had to step away from the podcast due to his career changes. And as of this writing, he is now living in Arizona with his wife, driving around a Dodge D50. And you know I'll be shooting to do another episode with him, too. But we'll see what he's driving then. He's had a lot of cars. Uh, Tony sees with a diesel rabbit from a year ago. He now has his own Volkswagen Westphalia running around. And with my friend Jay Foster, California bound in his bus. I'm sure we'll be doing an episode around a campfire, doing some Volkswagen camping. There will no doubt be guests, but this podcast is also going to be something else, and I want to talk about that, because just as this podcast subjects itself to looking to the past, there's a lot of utility in looking towards the future. There's a concept that I like to call meta-journalism, where journalism documents an event with the who's, what's, when, where's, and whys. Meta journalism captures even more context. Meta journalism, I, I find, captures the emotional state of the writer, the beliefs of the writer, and acknowledges these biases as part of the story being saved for later. To give you a couple examples, go back and read your own social media posts just from five years ago. If you're like me, you'll find that 2016 feels like an entirely different world to 2021. And that just happened in five years. And those differences appear in how we posted, not just what we posted. And to what ends. To give another example, I have an email account still that I started back in high school. With no less than... 250,000 individual messages between myself and friends, family, corporations, failed projects, airplane reservations, old job prospects, new job prospects, each containing one instance of documentation that can serve as part of a larger piece of a very real form of journalism. And for one last, hopefully more powerful example, I refer you back to episode seven, the last episode I did solo called driving breed stories. That episode captures the more powerful essence of meta journalism in that I effectively wrote and recorded three stories that were important to me at the time, panel gone camping in particular, where I couldn't really commit to words how important it was to me that I was finally camping with my dad for the first time in my life. Certainly for the first time in my adult life. Just the two of us in a couple old VWs tooling up the coast. I included a song that puts me back to that day. Meta journalism calls back to those moments through other channels than just the who, what, when, where, and why. It's why on a peaceful afternoon, I sometimes like to listen to old radio broadcasts from some significant historical event. Like the eruption of Mount St. Helens. There's no shortage of 8 hours KCW news broadcast May 18th 1980 on YouTube. And not just the coverage of the event itself, but I listen to the music and the advertisements. The crackles and the pops in the audio all contextualize the journalism and if you listen, those broadcasts can provide so much more information and context than just a newspaper article does. Like how a good song from childhood can bring back good memories with nostalgia. Meta journalism can bring back what we felt as well as what happened. Perhaps that's what Hunter Thompson was trying to achieve through gonzo journalism. So with this in mind, what is this podcast going to be? I hope, and I'm aiming for, a repository for the next 10 years of my career for everyone involved. This episode itself, if I'm successful, will capture the exhilarating freedom I feel now since I'm entirely self-employed with a VW bus and a dog and a whole world to explore and the careful optimism I'm harboring with that feeling. There's nothing stopping me from doing this podcast regularly. It's a podcast I want to do and I need to do. So perhaps there's nothing wrong with doing more solo episodes to fill in between guests Indeed, this is the first episode where I'll be incorporating a video format as well. This episode is going to be on YouTube, albeit I'll be using some old B-roll footage, um, which I have a feeling is going to be the trend. But nonetheless, I'm moving to YouTube. So, allow me to try the kind of episode I foresee doing. And let me know your thoughts in the discussion group on Facebook. For as long as I've been driving, there's been an annual event called the Highway 1 Treffen, put on by Airhead Parts. This is not a plug for them, but Airhead is another Volkswagen parts company located in Ventura, California. The Treffen starts in Port Angeles, Washington State, ostensibly the northernmost point of U.S. Highway 101, on the northern edge of the Olympic Peninsula, where the Canadian border floats somewhere halfway to Victoria on the other side of the water. Over 10 days, the Treffen is led down 101 and Old Highway 1, through Oregon and to California, down through Big Sur, past Los Angeles to Friendship Park in Imperial Beach, right up against the fence that divides California from Tijuana. This is an event I've longed for, but haven't been able to make time to do properly. But this month, I'm free, so I could I could at least do a leg of it. My friends at the Ventura Vintage Volkswagen Club stepped up and put on a camp they call Treffenfest, near Ojai, where traditionally the Treffin stops at the Channel Islands Harbor. The VVV put on a car show of their own in, up in the foothills, where we could all camp together Friday night and Saturday night, with the treffen leaving Sunday for the last jaunt to San Diego. On my way over, I wasn't sure if I was really going to tag along with the Treffin or not, but... Tony ended up making that decision for me. Tony showed up Saturday. He is from Long Beach, a VW collector in his own right. He showed up with his beige and white Bay Window VW bus. He drove up to the camp Saturday just to get out of the city. He arrived just in time for doing a Coleman lantern walk around the campground. And after the Coleman lantern walk, there is pizza and steaks and burgers all being cooked on vintage Coleman stoves and ovens. That's the kind of stuff that makes a VW camp different than other camping trips. Sitting around a fire, staring up at the stars we can't see in the city, surrounded by this old, these old campers and this old, this old equipment that we keep going. The next morning, I was up early enough to pack up my bus and catch the traveling group on their way out. We really had no plans, Tony or I, but he had to get back to Long Beach at some point, And the Treffin's first stop after Ventura was, in fact, Long Beach. So we decided to fuel up and follow the group, consisting of Andre of Airhead Parts, Tom Summers, who allegedly puts more miles on his VWs than even I do. Um, there was a couple from Eugene. There's a Gia from the Bay Area. And there's a father-daughter team who easily won the mileage contest driving from Boise, Idaho, to do the whole and start to finish, and then drive back to Boise. By the time we got to Long Beach around lunchtime and settled in at In-N-Out, not five minutes from Tony's home, I told him, I think I'm going to go for it, and he agreed. We should try for the border. What better way to spend a Sunday afternoon than a pleasant cruise with some friends to Mexico? Andre told us to get fuel because from Long Beach, we weren't going to be stopping. We were just going to bomb our way to the border, take some pictures, and then get to Tom Summers' house. Foolishly, without fueling, as it turns out, we hit the road. 405 to the 5 Freeway in Orange County. A group of roughly 10 buses. Just all in a line going down the freeway. Tom for his part, ended up stopping near San Onofre, and foolishly, we behind him stopped while Andre and the front part of the group kept going. We followed Tom off, off of the highway, and then right back on again. It was right about the north end of San Diego that I started getting fuel anxiety. The dafalia my bus, is geared low and it's extra heavy being a high roof and a camper, and hauling a trailer. It does not get the best gas mileage. But we drove anyway, all the way through San Diego and National City, with my fuel gauge moving close to, and then resting on, the R that stands for reserve, which would be the last gallon of fuel in the tank. Finally, after several hours, Tom finally pulled off at exit 3, denoting the third exit north of the border. I pulled immediately into the first gas station, and Tony followed behind me, with similar concern that we might both be running on fumes. Indeed, I'm filling up, my 13-gallon tank took no less than 12.8 gallons. So I was right on the cusp of running out of fuel. After filling up, we had one more issue. Tom and the rest of the pack that pulled off at San Onofre, they went due west while we pulled over. Andre and the Blue Airhead bus, no clue where he was. No clue where the rest of the group was, other than presumably they went to the border. So as fast as I could muster, I hop online, googling Treffen 23. I finally found a Facebook post with a link to a Garmin GPS website that was tracking the Treffen. And by golly, their most recent waypoint was due south, towards Friendship Park. So we hit the road, south, and headed west as soon as we can no longer go south, towards a state park on the beach, riding the border friends against Tijuana. We sped as fast as our buses could go, down a sand-covered road until we got to a junction. And by chance, I chose that we go up the hill to a plateau that split between Tijuana and Imperial Beach, California. On the United States side, we found Friendship Park, an overlook to the Pacific Ocean, and just so happened to catch the Treffen Group getting ready to leave. On the Mexican side, we could see Plaza de Toros. After a couple of pictures of our buses at the border, Tony and I scrambled to catch the Treffen Group headed for Tom Summers' house. A little beachfront property where San Diego air-cooled was waiting for us with cold watermelon and hot grilled brisket. And a dozen hot, tired VWs had set up for camp for the night, celebrating the end of yet another Highway 1 treffin. I know how I felt just doing this one leg, and I can't wait for next year, where I will be doing the whole trip. But as it stood, it was 5 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. At the edge of the world. And I at least had to get back to Los Angeles. Ready to get back to Dafton and ship orders out the next morning. So I checked oil. Realized I had to stop and get more oil. But more importantly, I found a loose pulley fan. (laughs) Which is not good. I fixed that up and hit the four-hour road trip back to Los Angeles with Tony behind me. Pondering while the sun set just to the left. This is why I quit my job. Yeah, I still had to work the next morning, but I was able to take my time headed home. I even stopped in Garden Grove to meet a guy with an old Sears water jug that matched my Sears camping stove that I had rebuilt just in time for this very weekend. I got home about midnight, without the stress of having to be up at 5 a.m. to walk Harley. My dog and I had just got home. And just went to bed. And for the first time in my life, I woke up feeling that I really know what I want to do. I want to help people keep their Volkswagens on the road so that we can spend weekends seeing the country. And to save those weekends forever. To document them. To to be a made-a-journalist of what these weekends are. That's what this podcast is for. So thank you for listening. The last of a driver and breed will be returning very soon.